trend we're on. This is the Let's Talk Cheer podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Larkin. Where we talk cheer, we talk life, and we talk whatever comes to mind. Five, six, seven, eight, let's get started. Turn it up and tune in into Let's Talk Cheer with Jason Larkin. We're talking cheer, we're talking like we know we're always talking. So listen up, you boy, I'm about to go all in. Five, six, seven, eight, we're on. Let's begin. This is episode number 24. Not sure if there's going to be a 25, but thank you for joining today. We have such a great episode for you guys. I had the opportunity to sit down and I was like a kid in a candy store talking with our next guest. He was telling story after story. You guys are truly in for a treat. We have on the man, the myth, the legend, owner of the Top Gun All-Stars, coach of the world famous world champions, TGLC. But before we get into that conversation, if you like the podcast, then like the podcast. If you're here for the first time, second time, third time, and haven't subscribed yet, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It means so much to us here at the channel. But without further ado, my conversation with Victor Rosario. Everyone, you already heard the intro. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Victor Rosario. Owner, CEO, CFO, everything, janitor at Top Gun All Stars. Not CFO. Don't trust me with your money. <laughs> no, I saw I saw that on the um, I saw that on the um, on the Bahamas on the um, on the TSN. What was it? The the coaches conference we did, and it said CEO, and, and your your wife was CFO. And I was like, oh, they have like separate titles. So I just thought it was funny. I've never seen anyone listed as the CFO on a cheer yeah, company we, before. So we definitely didn't do that. We didn't do that. We don't follow any titles per se. If anything, it's been she's the brains, I'm the brawn. There we go. That's it. Good stuff. So we're just going to talk, man. I'm, I'm super excited to have you on. Thanks for honestly, I'm, I was so thrilled. I was nervous to ask you to be on the pod and I was just like, but you know, you got to shoot your shot. And so I'm so glad that you agreed to be on. This is going to be, I'm like really excited to have you on. So again, thank you so much. Um, this is going to be a treat for all of our listeners for sure. And a treat for me. So same for me too, man. Ever since I heard you speak, I think it was at the, the bar CDU, right? A couple yep. of years ago. And I sat in on your class and I was in awe at how well spoken you were and just, you brought so many things to light just from the way that you articulate yourself. Thanks, I'm man. excited that you have me on your show and that you, I'm honored that you chose me to be part of this podcast because I, I admire what you're doing and how you do it. So thanks. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot. So, all right, so let's, let's get started. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. Now, this first one, I'm really hoping is true because I wanted to ask you this forever. I have no idea if this is true, but I wanted to ask you this forever. Um, so I'm going to set it up just a little bit. So I heard, so back in the day, I, I'm sure NCAA College Camp still does this. I know they still do Top Gun stunts. Um, when I was here when we were doing Top Gun stunts still, and before that, I know there was Top Gun tumbling and Top Gun jumps. And just so the parents know, and everyone listening at home, uh, NCAA college camp, it's kind of like uh, partner stunts, right? The guy and the girl, they do their stunt routine. You get one minute and everyone competes. 
and they go and, you know, they, they crown the winner, the top gun, you're the top gun stunt champion this weekend at camp. And then they have the top gun jump champion, top gun tumbling champion. Rumor has it. Please tell me this is true, Victor. Rumor has it is that you won all three events and that's how you got the name top gun. That is correct. Shut yeah. up. Let's go. Yeah. I think that the is, first person that you're the first person that figured out that that's where the name came from. Most people just assume Top Gun the movie. That's where you got the move, the name Top Gun. And I guess in a roundabout kind of way, it is because that's probably where NCA College got the name Top Gun for their stunt tumble jump competition at camp. Mm-hmm. That's not where I came up with it. But yes, it was my my first NCA College camp. I was at UT Knoxville. Um, I was 17 years old. Fresh out of high school, uh, cheering at Florida International University down here in Miami, and saw that they had this competition. I went out for all three and ended up winning tumbling and jumps, and then tying with a couple from Florida State for stunts. So, walked away with the three medals. And when I got home, I said, Kristen, I have the perfect name for our gym, or for our, not gym, for the program that we're going to have in the grass of the park. Dude, that is so awesome. That is, it's the coolest. And you know, it makes sense. The reason why I thought is like, this could be true because why would NC, I thought, why would NCA name their, you know, stunt jump competition, top gun after like, you know, after this well-known gym, right? Cause I'm coming in, you know, way later after both of those things have been established as it makes more sense that he would name it after that being like, Hey, I am the top gun. So that is so cool. That is, it's like the coolest story ever. So there we go. I never won top gun, um, anything. So (laughs) that's cool. Okay. So we start in the park. So let's go back. We got, we figured out how we got the name. Um, how'd the whole gym start? How'd this whole thing, you know, take off in the beginning? Honestly, uh, she and I had no intention of doing this, Long term, we were both going into college. Uh, I had a, a passion for obviously for the sport, especially for co-ed teams because I cheered on a co-ed team in high school. My team in college was co-ed. So as I was teaching NCA high school summer camps or their, their staff, summer camp staff from 92 to 94, every time I would come across a kid that I felt, you know, would be perfect for my team, I was kind of talking to them on the side. Hey, I'm going to start a team. Are you interested? Where do you live? Let's see if we can work this out. And basically recruiting one kid at a time over the course of two years. And then we put a team together. We have 10 guys and 10 girls. I bring Kristen on to help me run everything because she has the organizational mind. Um, She also has a dance background being a trained ballerina her whole life. Um, And we both had a passion for coaching. We, We loved to cheer and that's, Let's see how we got started. We thought there was just going to be something that we did as a pastime. Um, if we could even make anything off of it, maybe it would help pay our rent or our books for school or something, you know, very nominal fees that we could get at the time. Um, and then it just kind of took off from there as, as we started to make a name for ourselves. We realized, you know, we're, we're good at this and we're onto something here. People are starting to notice us and starting to come out of the woodworks and then just baby steps from having a team of 20 practicing out of the grass to then renting indoor space at a gymnastics facility to then eventually renting our own warehouse bay and adding on a couple more teams to getting a second and a third bay right beside those to then moving to a a bigger facility that could house, you know, two full-size floors 
And then 20 years later, building our own facility here in Miami and getting to the point where we're starting to franchise to other uh, cities and states around the country. So it definitely yeah. was not, not what we intended, but you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and I'm glad that it did because you know, they always say that if you, if you work in something that you love, it never feels like work. So for sure. I love getting up. I love my, my day and getting up knowing that I get to go to the gym every day and work with athletes and do something that I'm, I'm passionate about. Dude, that is, that is awesome. It, it really is. So what, what year did you guys start? Uh, our first official year was 1994. 1994 uh, in the grass. Yeah, must have been about May or June of 94. Um, yep. And yep. Our, our first, our, we did a, a couple of local competitions. We, back then we used to call them regionals. You know, when you would go to a high school and, and compete and try to qualify for the nationals. Um, and then we went to NCAA All-Star Nationals and we played second. That was 1995. Yep. Um, and that was kind of like our big coming out party where people were like, oh, who's this this team? Like, they're pretty good. Let's go back. We we get that. Oh, man. You told this story at in the Bahamas. So I got to hear the story again. So we, okay, so we figured out how we got the name Top Gun. We figured out how we we started the gym. Tell me about the colors and the name Jags. Yes. Okay, so Chris and I get, our original colors were black, red, and white. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was because I was influenced by some of the teams that I was watching because I was coming home every day after school and I would pop in VHS tapes and I would watch UCA High School, UCA College Nationals. I loved yep. NC State. They were red, black, and white. Louisville, red, black, and white. I wanted to go cheer at Louisville out of high school. So those colors were just always stuck in my mind. And that the first practice set we had, you know, screen printed shirts. We went to NCA high school camp. They were they were starting to integrate all stars and high school at the yep. time. And we had practice wear that was black, red, and white, just very basic top gun all stars. We put our routine together. I cut our music on dual cassette tape deck. You know, pressing play and pause and record <laughs> on one side and just yeah. take it out and rewind it and do it again to get it. Do it again. Got our routine together. We qualified for nationals. We sit on our couch and we're like, we did it. We got plane tickets. We got hotels. We, we're going to nationals. And then she's like, we don't have any uniforms. What are we going to wear? So we panic and we say, oh, wait a second. But we're on a co-ed team. At the time, we're on, we're cheering at Miami-Dade Community College. Yep. Uh, back then it was called Miami-Dade South because they have multiple locations throughout uh, South Florida and, and actually Miami-Dade North and South both had children programs that were very good in the community college mm -hmm. division. So we're at Miami-Dade South. We ask our coach, hey, can we borrow the uniforms? Because uh, it doesn't say Miami-Dade and it just says Jags. Mm -hmm. And it was black, gold, and white. So we end up wearing that at NCAA All-Star Nationals and everybody sees for the first time nationally Top Gun All-Stars, black, gold, and white, Jags, Jaguars, and yeah. Okay, we're not, we're not going to come back next year with black, red, and white and some other mascots. <laughs> so we just stuck with it. There you go, dude. <laughs> this is like the cheer history people want to know. You know, I mean, I'm sure back in the day, lots of people probably knew that story, but now people, you know, so there's a whole whole new generation of of athletes and families in the sport who they have no idea like how any of this gets started. And so it's so cool to hear the history, like the happenstance Like, well, we were actually in this situation and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. So it's super cool to, to hear all those things. Um, I'm so, I'm so glad we shared these stories. So, all right. 
you you brought me or we we met varsity you like you said and we, they do the coaches breakfast you asked me this question at that breakfast so i want to flip the question on you so you asked okay. You asked, do you think it's easier to start a gym today with all the marketing and technology and just resources that we have today? Or do you think it's easier to have started the gym to, to have started a gym kind of way back when you started, when the market wasn't as um, when there weren't nearly as many gyms in the space? So I ask you the question, what do you how, how do you answer that question? What do you feel? I think it's 100 times harder now. And I'm so glad that we started 28 years ago when we did. Um, and obviously it was tough in different ways that we didn't have the social media um, and other things that the other resources to be able to reach out the way that we talk now um, and get ideas or get information or feedback on things we're trying to do, what, what has worked, what's not working. So we were kind of developing the wheel as we went. Mm -hmm. um, and now people have those resources. You have, all these organizations like the NASC and NACCC, all these different organizations that can provide you contacts, networking, all that. Yep. Um, so in that regard, it was a lot harder for us, but nowadays the industry is so saturated, you know, and things are so expensive to be able to come in and start a gym and, you know, not know if you're going to have the number of athletes you need, not know if they're going to be super competitive mm -hmm. and the people are going to want to come to your gym because you're not, buying for a summit bid or a world's bid or mm -hmm. you know, this championship, I think today is way harder. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems, and I remember telling you at breakfast, I just can't imagine, you know, I remember going to world. So it must've been 2019 worlds and sitting there and watching finals and being like, how do you start? A, I was like, if you started a gym right now, it's like nearly impossible to make finals. Like these teams making finals are incredible. So I'm trying to imagine what it'd be like to literally start a gym by myself right now and then and then try to make finals at worlds right like and just it, it would it's just crazy and that's just like the competitive side of it um as far as the athletes are concerned we're not even talking about all the other things that you mentioned you know trying to make sure you have enough athletes actually pay rent and all those other things you know so yeah it's a crazy it's a crazy time um and for my parents at home, I wasn't thinking about starting my own gym. I know everyone heard Jason go, oh, he's thinking about starting his own gym. I just put myself in a hypothetical situation. I don't want to read into that. Um, I will add, though, when level play began, mm -hmm. um, and now that we have seven different levels, we have novice, prep, you know, quarter your teams, half your teams, fundamentals. So those are things that have been created since we started. Yep. that have made the industry easier to break into. For when sure. we competed, it was co-ed and all-girl. You had people that didn't tumble, and you had kids that tumbled great, mm -hmm. stunt great, didn't stunt great, everybody was competing against everybody, divisions were super deep, and you know we got 20 seconds, it's okay, well, let's watch the videos, let's see how we can get better, try yeah. again next year. Oh, look, we got 12, and we just keep trying to chipping away at it. I think if I was coming into a, a gym now, in that regard, it would be a little easier because I could say, I'm, I'm going to start a gym and focus just on level one or mm -hmm. just on novice or prep and then yeah. kind of build it up. Whereas before it was just, you know, just got to go for it. For sure. <laughs> All right. So now let's talk about, um, at least back in the day. So obviously you're in Miami, the 305. And in 2000 and. 
2004 and 2005 Miami Elite go back to back world champions. So I have no idea how far you were from Miami Elite, but it sounds like you guys are 30 minutes. There you go. So you're a stone throw away, right? Um, What was that like? So so then we have these back to back world champs, right? 30 minutes away. Then they merge with the other, you know, two big gyms in, in the area. So what's that like being kind of the, not really the odd man out, but you're the odd man out, but having to like compete and kind of battle through that. What was that whole situation like as Top Gun? You know, as, as tough as it was and as frustrating as it was at times, it actually made us better to be so close in proximity and for all those programs to be so good. It just made you have to step up and, and get better. So for sure. the Miami Elite owners were actually former Top Gun Large Club members. Okay. They were they were kind of like the guys that <laughs> always got in trouble on the team, you know. <laughs> but they were awesome athletes. You know, they, they, um, they started Miami Elite in 2004, like you said. We ended up boycotting going to Worlds. Mm-hmm. We had won all season long every event. We had competed against them, but we did not go to Worlds. So I kind of feel like we probably would have won Worlds had we gone. Yeah. Based off the track record, um, 05. We did go to Worlds. We had mistakes. They beat us outright. We got third. Um, the other two programs that they joined with to become this mega program called Encore, one mm-hmm. was uh, called Legend Lady Jags, also owned and choreographed and coached by one of our original Top Gun Large Squid guys mm-hmm. um, who had been with our program for years, kind of operating separately out of a different warehouse. But when we come to competition, it was all Top Gun. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we had a falling out because we found out that uh, he was trying to start another location with someone else a little further north, and it was going to be competing in the same division as uh, one that we already had. Mm-hmm. So at the time, Chris and I were were not about that. We we're very much about you know everybody has separate divisions. Maybe now because we have so many locations, and we yeah. know that those teams have to overlap. You know, we're going to have J threes at all five locations or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But back then that, that wasn't really a thing. So we were very close minded to that idea. We said, look, you got to choose. Like you can't, you can't have a, a, a gym called legend lady Jags competing against top gun juniors, mm-hmm. you know, and be part of our program. So we had a big falling out. We had to, he almost tried to take us to court about, you know, the name, whether or not uh, he was allowed to use the name just as much as we were. Uh, we kind of called the bluff and said, the rule says first and use first and right. So we started Top Gun. If it got went to court, it's going to get ruled in our favor. Yeah. So we end, we end up splitting ways. He goes full force with Legend Lady Jags. We stayed doing Top Gun. We competed against each other. A lot of times they won. A lot of times we won. Um, and then there was another program called Step Ahead All-Stars um, who we competed in, in like minis and juniors and dance teams. Those three programs end up joining forces, um, but we kind of had the foresight to, to see how it wasn't going to work out. It was just three different types of mentalities to coaching, to just the way of running business, all trying to come together for this sole purpose of you know dominating the market in our area and hopefully taking out the competition. And it lasted a year, and then people started to fragment again. And now yep. they're you know there's no more legend ladies, there's no more Miami Lee. Step ahead is still around. I think they're competing in like D2. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just use it as an opportunity to, to focus on ourselves, you know, and, and continue to grow stronger by having that 
competition right down the street pushing us to get better no matter what because it's either you know do or die that's that, yeah, that sink or swim so, yeah sink or swim and you know so I, the funny thing is that we will always stay good friends with a lot of those coaches um mm-hmm. and when top gun finally won its first world title in 07 it was partially because one of the guys um who owned and coached Miami Elite, he brought over about half of his team mm. because <clears throat> because his other partners had left when they merged to become Encore. They kind of left yep. them high and dry. He mm-hmm. was the one guy that didn't want to be part of it. He was already on his way out of the cheer business and went into it and then his two partners up and left and he was stuck with the... the yeah. Um, so he brought over all his kids and said, look, I, I don't think this is the place for them. I really think what you guys have going is, is where they need to be. So we got about 12 other kids and it, it was like the perfect storm. What yeah. we had and what they had put together and we dominated 07 and 08 with a lot of those same kids. Um, and a lot of those kids end up becoming top gun coaches throughout the years. And I, th- I think it, that was really a turning point for our program finally bringing all that talent together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah. funnily enough, that same guy, his name is Carlos Velasquez, Mm-hmm. He's the guy who got into real estate, commercial real estate, and helped us find the land and build the building that we're in right now. <laughs> Shut up. Crazy. So that's why That's why you never burn bridges. You always yeah. try to be cool with people because you never know where life's going to take you. For sure. Dude, that's, that is, yeah, that is crazy. So that 07 routine, when you said, you know, 2007, that was the first year we won Worlds. That you, that was the routine. We all know a routine, you know, it's the, and they go back, man, that was the crazy. I was in college at the time. That was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And obviously you said, Oh, eight. And after those two seasons, I thought Top Gun's never going to lose again. Like they're never going to lose again. I have no idea how they came up. That was just, that was insane. So so we talk about some of these, I think we know the highlights, right? And we're, we're top gun. We have TJLC, we have lady Jags and, you know, double five and, and we see all these things. And now we have, you know, gyms in this city, in this city and all those things. And those are all great things. Right. And, you know, you're a household name everywhere you go, but let's talk about some of the, um, like you talk about this struggle kind of with Miami elite and everything going on with encore, but what are some of the other low lights or struggles that you've had to go through? Cause I think some, I think a lot of times we look at someone and just think, oh, it's been perfect for them. Like everything they do is just great. And, you know, they have the Midas touch. Everything they touch is just gold. Right. So what is what are some of the struggles that you've had to overcome over these years? Uh, let's see. Um, one big highlight that sticks, sticks out of my mind is when Kristen and I were having our first child. You know, she was obviously pregnant. She was trying to be pregnant, you know, first time uh, mom and still trying to run and manage the finance of the gym. So she employed uh, some extra help. One of our parents had her daughter come up to the program to help run some of the finances. Only to find out at the end of the season that things have been misbilled and not enough, you know, money was coming in. Basically we were $20,000 short. Crazy. To be able to pay off our last competition. And, we're like, you know what? God will provide. Somehow, some way, we're going to figure it out. Um, and we end up going to, I think it was like All-Star Challenge or one of these events that was giving out the 
program grand prize. I think it might have been American Open. They were giving out these these program awards where you get twenty five grand if you had the highest scoring team or the the highest scoring combined <laughs> three teams. We ended up winning and we're like, thank God. Yeah. There's our money to pay off our last event. You know, so that happened to us. Um, Crazy. We also had when we got into our second um, least warehouse bay. We didn't have enough parking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were operating there, but by our county standards, we didn't have enough parking. We didn't have the correct um, occupational license, and you needed fire sprinklers. You needed so many exits. You needed so many bathrooms. There were so many requirements. Um, and I don't know if it's like that in every place, you know, in America, but ours was very, very strict on what the requirements were. So we were there for about say 2003 to 2014, just trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to make things work. Yeah. Going back and forth with the County. And finally it got to the point we had been looking for about seven years, trying to find a building that we could lease or even buy, um, that would have the right amount of space, the right, everything to be up to mm-hmm. code. And we, you know, we had gotten there like seven years into it and just, we're not going to find anything. Unfortunately, because of Miami, not just the cost, but because we had Hurricane Andrew back in the early 90s and it, you know, it was a category five, it wiped out mm-hmm. this whole area. Um, anything built after that year had a column every 40 feet, a structural okay, column. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now it's cutting into our floor space. Yeah, you know, for so sure. In our mind, we wanted an open space, high ceilings, no obstructions. So we couldn't find anything that was fitting, you know, those standards that we wanted and everything before that, that had the open space was either run down, too expensive, not in the right area or whatever. So we, we had almost given up hope. And that's when Kristen uh, started to reach out to the guy from Miami Lee, Carlos. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'll help you look. You know what? Can't find anything. Let's, let's find the land. Let's build. Yep. So right when our building was finally done in August of 2014, it was about this. It was two months before that they shut us down. They said, you cannot have top gun operating your facility in this warehouse anymore because mm-hmm. you don't meet the County requirements. So we basically had to stop practicing for two months at the beginning of the season. Just say, you know, we'll see you guys in August when really? our building is, when our building is done. Yeah. And then we moved in August of 2014. Yeah. So, so it was a really do, scary time. What did you do during those two months? We didn't practice. And, you know, we just basically crossed our fingers that nothing would get held up construction-wise and we'd be able to move in in August mm-hmm. and then try to hit the ground running as soon as we got in there. Yeah. Crazy, dude. <laughs> Victor, this is the best ever. I didn't have you on every episode. This is what people want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you heard the man he's coming out every episode so i gotta tell you when i knew that you were i i know why top gun is top gun and you made me realize that in person so i'm gonna brag about you a little bit <clears throat> we go to varsity U, where we met and um I know Stephanie Almirati was standing there you were there and there's someone else that i knew was there so i was like i knew i know steph 
I knew who I knew the other person and I obviously knew who you were, but we had, we had never met before. So I figured that's Victor. I'm going to go stand in and try to meet him. So I go, Hey Steph, Hey, whoever this other person is. And Hey, Victor, you know, I'm Jason Larkins or whatever. And I thought you were <clears throat> speaking at the conference or doing something with USASF. I didn't figure, I mean, we're in Louisville, Kentucky. So I didn't figure you were bringing your staff up there. You're actually speaking at the conference or um, attending the conference. And, um, you know, later you say that you're attending and you're just there by yourself and, you know, you're asking like what classes I teach. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't teach anything that you need to see. Like everything I'm, I'm teaching on, you already know tenfold. And um, I'm like, but you should go to this one class. You'd probably like this class. Uh, it's a little bit different and, you know, feel free to show up. It's my last class of the day on Sunday, the next day or whatever. And um, lo and behold, you show up to my first class. And like my second class and my, th I think you went to all four of my classes and I was like, dude, he's in all four. And you sat, you sat in the front row of all the classes and took diligent notes. Like, no, I would see you like really taking notes in class. And I'm like, man, he's like really paying attention. And, um, and so I, I compare that to another gym owner, not going to say his or her name. I'll say it's a, he, his name or what gym, but I was at a different conference in a different region. And here's a pretty good gym. Um, pretty good. Definitely if I say the name, like regionally, they're really strong. Uh, maybe not every single person knows what this gym is, but they're a really good gym. Great gym. And uh, but I remember talking to him and he was saying, like, I have nothing to learn at these at these conferences. Like, you know, I bring my staff, but I remember he like flat out said, I don't have anything to learn at these things. And. And it like made me think I compare those two interactions um, because Kristen said it when we were at the last coaches conference we were at, she said, we always learn at these things. Like we, there's always like, you know, you stop, once you stop learning, you stop growing, you know, and that's when we need to get out of the business <clears throat> and, and your, your humility, both of your humility is, you know, it's exactly why you guys are the program that you are. Cause you mentioned this, like it's all in the, the little, the little details and getting that little edge because it's so competitive now. So I say all that to bring up the quote of the week. So every week I do a quote of the week and it's just something that, you know, it's just on my heart and, and you have inspired the quote of the week, which is attitude. It attitude is a direct reflection of leadership. And I think that um, the attitude that top gun have truly reflects um, you and Kristen's leadership. Like you guys are just, just every time I've been around you guys, you guys have been, just the beacon of humility. And so um, we appreciate you. No, for sure. So speaking of your kiddos, I want you to tell this story. Uh, 2013, I believe it is. Battle okay. under the big top. You guys win the full paid bid, but you decide to give it away. Can you, can you tell the audience that story and what, you know, that whole thing? Uh, so, yes, Battle Under the Big Top All-Star Challenge event in Atlanta. It's always our first competition for um, our Miami teams. And we try to get our world's bid, you know, hopefully out of the way right there for at least for uh, Lady Jags or TGLC or Double O. Um, we end up winning it, but we didn't win our division. Um, and because of that, we felt that we didn't deserve it the only reason that they gave it to us was because all-star challenge at the time 
had a, a company policy that they would not give both of their paid bids to the same organization. Mm-hmm. And the year or two prior, the same thing happened to us. We have the highest, the two highest scores. So our two paid bids, if they did it just by score, would have been for TGLC and 005. But because they had that policy, they gave it to TGLC and some other senior team. Can't mm-hmm. remember what team it was. And I remember thinking, that's, that's kind of unfair. The two best teams should get the two paid bids. But I get it, it's your company, you can do what you want. So when the, the tables were, were turned and we were on the receiving end of that policy, we felt it was an opportunity for us to, to change it. So, yep. you know what, we don't deserve this. And, and we felt like, you know, we have enough chances throughout the season going to NCA, Cure Sport, UCA, like, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. We're going to get better. We're going to get to the point where we can earn it outright. It's not fair to take it away from those kids and make them feel the way we felt, you know, a year or two prior. So we asked Dennis Worley, who was running All-Star Challenge at the time, and we said, hey, can we give our bid back and you give it to, I think it was Sure Extreme, mm-hmm. um, Code Elite. So I think the senior elite had already earned the other one. But Code Elite wasn't going to get it because it's the same program, even though they beat us. And he said, oh, it's, it's your bid. You do what you want. So they won't well, take it. We'll, we'll try again. And then after that year, they changed their policy. Now it's just a yeah. few highest scores. Yeah. There you and go. We ended up, I think it was, a, it was at first, when we told the kids, hey guys, we're giving... We're giving it back. Well, this is what we think. We're going to vote on it. We're just not just going to make the decision. We always try to let our kids have an input. We feel like the more input they have, the more invested they are. And we explain to them why our thought process was, was leaning this way. And they say, you know what, coaches, you're right. We all vote. Give it back. We'll, we'll earn it later on. And I think it, it put them on this, this path that they realized what needed to happen in order to earn their bid, in order to be the kind of team they ended up becoming by the end of the season. And that was the turning point. Maybe had we not done that, we wouldn't have triple crown. We wouldn't have won worlds you mm-hmm. know, that year. I think that was, and those, those, like you said, those little details, it just implants that, that right message in the kids, in that team. And uh, it, it really speaks to what our program is all about. Like you said, having that humility, always trying to do the right thing. Um, always trying to lead by example. So we did it. It worked out great for us. Um, and I think it, you know, the people that received that paid bid were obviously very uh, appreciative that their, their hard work didn't go unnoticed mm-hmm. you know, just because of a, a company policy. Yeah, that's, that is, it's still an unbelievable story to think, Oh, you get the, you know, I know it's like priced to what, 25 grand or something like that. Yeah. Right. But this 25 grand, you know, and go, Hey, we, we've won this. And now we're actually going to hand it away to someone. I think, you know, and it's a perfect example. Cause I didn't know that you guys were on the other end of the policy the year before. And so that happens to you and you think to yourself, you know, I want to treat people the way I want to be treated. And yeah. it's great to hear like this happened to us and this is how we felt. I know how they feel after they, you know, won the division. Right. And you, you hand that and it's a great, you know, it's one thing I, I try to uh, talk to our coaches about is that, that all the, everything that we teach should be a life lesson to these kids that they can use outside of the gym. And if it's, if what we are teaching them can't be used outside of the gym, maybe we shouldn't be teaching that inside of the gym. And I just think that's a great example of 
right? Humility, treating people the way you want to be treated, uh, leading by example, because it really, does, you know, that's a moment that stands out to those kids as far as what, you know, when they go to make a decision in their lifetime, they can go back to that, that time they, you know, by the rules, they won fair and square the, the paid bid, right? According to the rules. And, and they said, you know what? I, I don't feel like this is right. And I'm going to stand up for what I believe is right and fair, um, even though it might not necessarily be in the rules, right? One treats other people the way I want to be treated. Um, and it's not Top Gun. That's not, you know, it was the first time we'd ever seen that um, type of innovation and creativity. But obviously, Top Gun is known for being innovative and creative. So on the mat. So let's talk about where does this come from? How, how, how are we still... You know, the first time, now I got to tell a story. The first time I see Top Gun, I'm cheering on what we would call today Cali Coed, right? California All-Stars way back in the day. And this is way before social media and all these things. And I remember our coaches coming to practice. We're heading into NCA and we're heading into practice and uh, we're heading into NCA and our coaches come to practice and go, hey, we've got a video of, of Top Gun they were at some competition this weekend. We really need to step up our baskets. And we're like, okay, you know, and they got us trying all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, you know, we're doing toe touch baskets at the time. Right. And they got us trying all sorts of craziness. I was like, what, what did these guys just do? That's making them, making us try all this. And, and, um, you know, we go to NCA that year and we competed on day one. We were before you guys. So I remember it was back when you could like sit on the ground after you competed and watch like the rest of your division. <clears throat> We're sitting there and you guys come out and what the, what I remember most about the routine is you do four kick doubles. They rippled <laughs> and we, you know, kick double, kick double, kick double, kick double. And I'm like, what were those? And it was just like the craziest thing I'd ever see were these uh, kick double baskets. Right. So, you know, we have the kick double baskets and we were doing just everything that you do. Like, so where does this creativity come from? How are we inspired? And just everything. Um, so I, I think it stems from me as an athlete. I was never the bigger, stronger guy. I'm only five foot four. When I cheered in high school, I was maybe a buck forty five at the most. Mm -hmm. um, but I always have a very competitive drive. So I, I look for the ways that I can get an edge. And for me, it was coming up with. I couldn't do the power stunning if it was a stunt competition. Mm -hmm. So what can I do that will kind of equal that? Well, I can be more intricate or more creative when it comes to how I'm getting my flyer up and down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was evident in my partner's routines back then, my early years of college when I would compete because I couldn't do rewinds and full-ups and toss one-arm stunts mm -hmm. and things like that. So I had to find a different way. Um, and then I started to translate over into when I was coaching my teams. Um, and I think it's also my, my vision of what all-star cheering should look like has a lot to do with entertainment value. Mm -hmm. And that's why even as the scoring has evolved to where it's very skill-driven, um, I've never wanted to lose that identity because I, I think that what got us all into all-star was those moments that you're still remembering now mm -hmm. at whatever age you are you know, from when you were in high school cheering on California All-Stars. I want to be, I always want my team or my program to be that. Yep. Win, lose, or draw. <clears throat> 10, 20 years later, you're still pulling up our routines on YouTube going, 
wow, I remember how that pyramid made me feel. I remember the way the musicality went with that stunt sequence, how it made me feel. I remember the way they flipped the guys back and forth and that, it took my breath away. Like that's what I feel all-star cheerleading should be. So yes, we've had to find a way to marry the two. You know, still got to hit the score sheet, but still not lose our identity. So every time we choreograph a routine, we're thinking about okay, what's going to be memorable about this section. It can't just be a jump section. It can't just be a tumbling section that everybody's going to do. Why are we going to stand out, you know, amongst the rest of our division? So that that's kind of the thought process we go into it with. And I think that starting with Chris and I and how we coach our teams and then our kids becoming coaches for us and having that philosophy instilled in them, that's what they do with their teams and their levels and their age groups. And it's just continue to, mm-hmm. you know, grow from there to where all five of our locations, that's a common theme you see with all top teams. They're trying to stand out, you know, amongst, above the crowd by doing something. If it's not the hardest thing you've ever seen in shooting, well then it better be something that's really visual or something that's, creative. We can't just do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And I think we also realized that during our earlier years, because there was a phenomenal co-ed team called um, Procher All-Stars from Kansas yep. City. And they were winning NCA and UCA for five years in a row. And we were getting second to them every year. And every year I would you know, pull up their VHS tape, pop it in, and I would watch them like, oh, they're doing whatever to Liberty. Okay, we're going to do whatever to Liberty. And every time we did that, they were doing the next thing. And we were always doing this. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped to say, you know, I, I can't beat them at their game. I have to create my own game, you know, find my lane. And just like Tammy said, find your lane and speed. And that's what we decided. And it was that year that we finally took a chance on ideas that we had, but maybe thought, oh, they're not level appropriate. Um, they're not, you know, people are going to think they're stupid, whatever. We finally did that. That was when we finally beat that team and started to really make a name for ourselves. Yeah. You know, so we realized, okay, that we're onto something here. We have to do our own thing. We've got to figure out what we're great at and just keep doing that and just keep trying to evolve with that. And then the areas that we're weak at, we'll continue to work to strengthen them, but find what you're really great at and run with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not that creative. <laughs> okay. So with the creativity, there's a couple of years you do, it's a couple of years in a row or so. Um, we're doing car, assisted cartwheels and assisted backhand spring entries like into stunts. And so I heard this rumor. I need you to clear this rumor up for me. Um, that those, those couple of years, it's like, you know, USASF is saying, no, that's tumbling, not stunting. And you're like, no, that's, that's stunting, not tumbling. And they're like, oh, and, and it's back and forth. So I hear that you had a, a hand or at least a voice in allowing tumbling to be stunted or sorry, tumbling to be spotted in routines because of, you know, that innovative, you know, that creativity. So any truth to that? Uh, I believe that is true. Yes. Um, So sitting on a lot of the different focus groups or rules committees, um, I've been on the USSF rules committee since, uh, since it started pretty much Um, Mm -hmm. the NACCC, a coaches organization that we started, you know, 20 years ago that helped, unify most of the, the rules industry in the industry at the time from where we would go to, I don't know if you remember going to competition one weekend and 
this pyramid or stunt scale might be legal, but then the next weekend it wasn't. So you had to modify it a little bit. And I remember feeling as a coach and a choreographer that that, that was a problem. Why are we having to teach the kids something new every other weekend and then help, hopefully they're going to remember it, hoping mm-hmm. no one's going to get hurt, you know, forgetting to, to do the right grip or to catch the right way. And hopefully we're not going to get a deduction for doing something wrong. So when we, um, we started that coaches organization, that was at the top of our list. Let's find a way to unify all the rules because the rules are not something that is a competitive advantage for an event producer. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be something that's standard. Um, and we were able to do that. So yes, that was one of the things uh, on that list was I didn't feel, and maybe it's because I was more biased towards being able to have those creative moments, but I didn't feel that if you're supporting someone off the ground while they're mm-hmm. tumbling, that that should be considered tumbling anymore. Mm-hmm. Because what is stunting? Anytime you hold somebody up. And yep. I think now that's the recognized definition of stunting. If you're being supported off the ground, you're stunting. You're not yep. tumbling anymore. You know, so I think that's kind of where that came from. Yeah, for sure. All right. <laughs> Dude, this is, this is the best ever. This is the best ever. I'm so glad that we could have this conversation. All right. So Google, we just get to clear up rumors, but moving on from the rumors, um, USASF, you brought up the NACCC. Um, USASF has, hasn't had the best week or last two weeks, you know, a lot of gyms or a lot of event producers pulling out and deciding they're going to be, you know, truly independent um so what you know what, what what's your take what, how do you feel about everything you know going on right now in the industry well i, I understand why those event producers are, are feeling the way they're feeling and and making their decisions um unfortunately the ussf has had uh not the best reputation the past few years and there's been a changeover in leadership um, and I think Ali Stangl, who was the head of our rules committee and, um, you know, runs the, the judging and everything at Worlds, she is now sitting as the, the chairperson, taking on all the responsibilities that Jim Chadwick had prior to that. And she's really trying to clean house. I think she's doing a phenomenal job. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't have any ties to event producers or coaching or anything like that. I feel like she's, she truly is Switzerland and is just trying to look at what the issues are and she's learning as she goes. There's a lot of information that she was not even privy to that she's finding out as she's, you know, pulling back the curtain here and there and just trying to address it and and fix the problems. I think that the USSF, the idea of the USSF is correct. We do need to have a governing body that helps us to um, rule those certain areas when it comes to maybe scoring and rules and safety and things like that. And then there's other lanes that they probably should stay out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, she's kind of just been thrown into this fire and is having to figure things out really quickly. And I think that our industry needs to give her the opportunity to make it right and yeah. to fix those things that are, that are broken right now. I don't think that, um, you know, just scratching the whole idea of USSF and creating something new is the answer. Because as we all know, it sounds good in the beginning, but then in actual practice, you're going to find a lot of pitfalls, a lot of things along the way mm-hmm. that you don't do well. And the USSF has, has had a lot of years of trial and error and things that they've done right and things they've done wrong. Why do we want to have a company, a new emerging governing body, let's say, 
they have to figure those things out as they go and we're kind of back to square one. So yeah. I think that, I think just taking what we have and making it better and trying to make it more inclusive of, of people that are really knowledgeable in the industry and in those different areas um, would be the, the best situation for our industry. Um, and that's, they have my full support. I, I feel like, you know, we can't just say you're going to have an unlimited amount of time to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, at least a year or two, it's going to take yeah. when you switch over management like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's tons of other reasons why event producers are pulling out of the USASF, you know, some having to do with all-star worlds and mm-hmm. USASF world. I know there's a big debate on that and whether or not you know, there should be two world championships. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, one is for the levels uh, below level mm-hmm. six, but at the same time, let's look at what having multiple championships that are named the same has done for the other parts of our industry. You know, mm-hmm. we used to have yeah. regionals that made you qualify to go to nationals and it was prestigious to earn that right to go to nationals. And now everybody's a national championship. Every other weekend, there's 70 national championships going on. Um, and then what did we do? We, we created a step above that and there was the world's. So then it was very prestigious to go to Worlds. But then we add, we have 139 divisions now and so many are, are eligible for Worlds. Then we created the summit so that the other teams, the other divisions don't feel left out. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes a thousand teams. You know, and it becomes more of a, a money-making scheme than actually trying to figure out who the best teams in the industry are. So mm-hmm. now we're creating another thing and it's, it's this vicious cycle. I think we need to just break already. Yeah. And, and people just need to realize that, you know, there needs to be at least one time where we just see who the best is. Yeah. Everybody doesn't always have to have a trophy, a medal, a banner, a national championship title, a world championship. Like, it doesn't have to be for everyone. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of, it takes away the, the prestige from those kids that have really worked up to that level. Those coaches sure. that have put in the time and dedication to train up to that level. Um, if you're just going to have it readily available for every team. Mm-hmm. you know who wants to be a, a world champion or whatever so that's just my take on it may not be the, the popular opinion but you know being in this industry almost 30 years and kind of seeing how things have progressed that's why i feel like we're we're kind of going and we need to be very careful with that mm-hmm. now and it makes you know I, I like what you first said about ali is you know <clears throat> I, I try to remember this, uh, treat people with as much grace as you want them to treat you, you know, or give people as much grace as you want them to give you, you know, and, you know, trains of leadership is hard. You know, I came into the program. I've been an American for, for six years and, you know, change was hard, right? We were coming in and it was a whole new way that we were going to be doing things at the gym. than the, the previous coaches and um, directors and, you know, everyone ran things, you know, and, uh, you know, I remember like, telling the parents I first got there, like, please be patient with me. And, you know, to the gym owners and coaches out there, you remember what it was like, you remember what it was like to start brand new and, and you're like, like, Hey guys, just please be patient with me. I know that I can do this. Just give me a little bit of time to figure this out. And I think that, um, I think when you said that you are, it's a great time for us as an industry to hold the mirror up to ourselves and say, the same way that we are treating USASF or treating varsity or whatever the case may be, um, you know, do we want our families in our gym to treat us that way? 
you know, when we make a mistake, when we do these types of things. So, you know, you know, there are people, you know, it's people behind these, um, these companies, right. And, you know, and they're flawed just like you and I are. So, you know, I agree with you to be patient with everything. And then, you know, how many, you know, how many champions do we really need? Cause you, you mentioned it. It was, a re- I remember having to qualify for, for NCAA nationals. I remember having qualified for UCA nationals, right? We qualified at the regionals and we go to nationals and then everyone became a national champ. This is actually a true story. Worlds was my idea, Victor. Um, <laughs> I didn't get paid for it, but I remember telling my mom, uh, my mom always brings this up. But I remember telling my mom, like they have all these like, national champions they should take the best national they should take all the winners from the national champions have them compete against each other i called it grand nationals uh worlds i guess one out but you know next time i have the, i have the bankroll to fund a world championship at the time but anyway but yeah um but you said you know multiple world championships how many world championships will we end up with um but all right last three questions i got for you what in the industry needs to change when he's a start, stop and change in the industry. Okay. Uh, first to start, I think that we need to start remembering to put the kids, parents, the gyms, our, our customers first again, because that's, what's going to help our industry grow. And that should be ultimately what we want is for our industry to continue to grow, not just nationally, but internationally, just, have as many people wanting to be in our sport as possible and to stop just putting our bottom line as the main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, me so I think that if you look at the event producers that are out there, you know, a lot of them were athletes themselves. They were, then became coaches, might've been gym owners and they got into the EP business and I think somewhere along the way, you start to forget where you came from and that it, it truly should be about the kids. And if you put them first, I think the money and everything else is going to come. Just like when we're coaching our teams, we could just be saying the whole time, we got to win, we got to win, we got to win. Mm-hmm. But if we just focus on the things that it takes to win, the winning is a byproduct. Yeah. You know, so we focus on the kids experience. Um, more people are going to want to be part of it. And then ultimately that will be more in your pocket as a business. And I think we've gotten away from that. I think we've you know, taken a lot of events and just lowered the standards, make, made things very cookie cutter. It's not a, a great experience for athletes, parents, fans. It's just basically you show up, you compete, and you move on. It's not as fun anymore as it used to be mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of events. And there are a lot of these independent event producers and, and other companies they're, they're realizing that. I think this past year of COVID, people not being able to attend a lot of the different events, mm-hmm. it gave them an opportunity to show what could be done and what, what's out there, what are the different options. And I think that's all contributed to, to what's happening now with the USA 7 people, you know, fragmenting is because customers who normally would not have given them, you know, the opportunity did this past year and realized that, you know what, this is what I really want. Yeah maybe what I've been doing this whole time is not what I want. I just kind of fell into, you know, following the, the rest of the, uh, the crowd. And yep. now my eyes have been open to other possibilities and they're great. Um, so I think that that's 
number one. Uh, as far as stop, I think we need to stop all the cheering on, cheer fashions, all that stuff needs to stop. It's not constructive. It's not helpful for the industry. Um, just last night, I had a, a boy on my large court team who he can stunt, but he can't tumble really well. He came from another program. Um, he had a mental block. He got better at uh, his back hamstring tuck. Finally got a breakthrough, posted it, and then was getting ripped on one of these anon sites, cheer fetches or whatever it was. Oh, so that's the kind of tumbling that top and large court has? Hmm. Does that really matter? Yeah. The kids had a mental block. He's finally made a breakthrough and was proud of himself and wanted to put it out there. And that's the kind of feedback he's going to get for it. Mm-hmm. Like, come on yeah. guys, we, we can do a lot better. I think that our industry, um, whether it's the USSF or something needs to be done where we're monitoring that and we're getting to the bottom of who's behind mm-hmm. those things and putting a stop to it because it's not for helpful. Sure. The bullying and all that stuff. I mean, these kids are be- having eating disorders because of it. They're mm-hmm. suicidal because of it. Like, when is it at? You know, yeah. it's not helpful. It's supposed to be cheer leading. Why, why are we, why are we bringing people down? Why are we yeah. turning them apart? Um, and then as far as changing, I think that the small gym, big gym camps need to change their mentality and realize, especially right now, everything that's going on, we are one community. Mm-hmm. The, the issues that are out there are much bigger than just how many kids you have in your gym. And we need to stand together to help make those changes possible and to, to let our voice be heard that we need those changes, regardless of whether you have 50 kids in your gym or you have 500, mm-hmm. you know, that's ultimately how we're all going to thrive in this industry and stop putting what's best for your gym or your team in the forefront of your mind. Like mm-hmm. I, like you said, there were times where Top Gun did not do what was best for Top Gun, giving away a $25,000 bid was not the best thing for us, yeah. you know, but it was better for the industry. It, it set us a precedence that now, you know, has helped hopefully change the industry in the right direction. So I think those two camps need to come together and realize it's not about, you know, competitive advantage. There's a way that we can coexist and, um, and work together to get the, the changes in the industry made that we all need and that we're all going to benefit from. Like, like you said, it's cheerleading. Victor, yep. you are you are truly leading. You truly are. And I hope that people are listening. I really do. Because um, you're a man of wisdom. And it's very evident as you're speaking. All right. So what is a myth or narrative? Is there a myth or a narrative out there about you or about Top Gun that you want to take this time to debunk? I'm funny. You, you kind of sent me this question before and I've been thinking about it. And I could not think of anyone. I just can't do it right now. I think that uh, a myth or a, a narrative, not just for Top Gun, but for a lot of well-known gyms, people may think that it's always easy for us, that we have you know, this huge advantage because we have so many numbers or because we're so well-known, been in the industry so long, you know, have more finances because we have more kids that we have somehow an advantage. Um, a lot of us with bigger programs, multi-locations, we have, yes, we might have our mega gym, but we also have our small 50 person gym too. So mm-hmm. we experience a lot of the same struggles that a small gym with 50 kids or less are going through. We just also have the added burden of, of dealing with the opposite end as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when we go to competitions, we don't always win. Mm-hmm. Top Gun loses way more often than it wins. And I, and I think that's what makes the win so great is because, you know, look at just this past year, TGLC finally won Worlds again. We mm-hmm. have not won Worlds since 2014. So yeah. seven years later, getting second year after year after year and just, we could have just said, you know, we give up, done. I've already won five times. But it's using that as fuel to motivate us to keep getting better and keep thinking outside the box, you know, not, not uh, let the defeats define us is what people need to realize. It happens to all of us, you know, regardless of whether you're a big well-known gym or, or not. Um, and actually in a lot of cases, because of the way that the score sheet, the scoring and the judging, everything is designed, at least currently, larger programs are a lot of times at a disadvantage mm-hmm. because we have, obviously we have a bigger gym, bigger overhead, more staff, things like that. We have to have numbers. So our teams are going to be bigger. Then we're going to compete against teams that are smaller, which mathematically is easier to get higher scores on the current scoring system. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we're at a disadvantage, even though you would think, oh, wow, they're putting up 9, 10, 11, 12 stunts. That's so much better. But it's also way more risky. It's also yeah. way more opportunity to, to fall and to make mistakes and to not get synchronization points and to lose drivers when For you're going sure. against a team that only has 21 or 22, whatever it is. You know, and that's go down the board in every single division. I think if you look at the, look at the stats, look at what the average number of, of athletes on a team is, it's in every division, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to go towards the bottom end of whatever's allowed in that division because it makes you more competitive. And I don't think it should, it should be that way because it's, it's not going to help our industry thrive. We want more kids in the gym. Now, I, as a gym owner, as a coach, it's so frustrating for one of my coaches to say, oh, wait, I don't want to put that kid on my team because then that changes. I have to put up one more stunt or I have mm-hmm. to have you know, a higher percentage of tumblers and they don't have that tumbling. So no. So, so we're going to now not give this kid an opportunity to be a cheerleader. Yep. The opportunity for the gym to bring in that income to be able to pay your salary, pay our overhead, it's just backwards thinking altogether. Yeah. You know, and, and I know that it's, we're in a competitive sport and I've always said that we need to start by thinking, what do we want our sport to look like? And then work backwards from there mm-hmm. to, to figure out all the things that need to be adjusted. And if we want our sport to grow, I think that should be our ultimate goal, our sport to grow. Then we have to figure out how to tweak the scoring and the judging so that it reflects that. Um, and it makes things uh, more equitable between teams of different sizes and, and gyms of different sizes um, so that we can truly get to the point where everyone's trying to fill their teams to capacity and, and they're rewarded for it. Not, yeah. you know, not getting um, uh, negative repercussions because you have more kids on the floor. Or you're trying yeah. to so that's, and this, this that's is a hundred percent. This is a hundred percent. I I've seen this on ASGA so many times. I've never said anything, but now's my time to say something I've heard. And it, it uh, typically stems from T- D two gyms. Um, and I'll see someone say something like, we're not trying to stay D two. We're trying to, no one turns away kids. And I always think to myself, no, hundred percent. I've been in, I work with a lot of D two gyms. Um, do you like summer camps and, you know, technique camps like that? And I've a hundred percent heard D two Jim say, Oh no, we don't want to go. I don't, we're trying to stay at D D two. We're trying to stay at this a hundred and 
you know, 20 level and not go have any more athletes. And they like a hundred percent turn kids down. Um, and you know, and I'm guilty of it too. And I remember being guilty of it, especially when I was at PCM is, Hey, you know, our owner came to us and saying they wanted to, we were going to disband our senior one and we had to split those kids up. We have enough kids on senior one and they were going to put, you know, start shifting them on to different teams that they could find them. And I didn't want to go large senior. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I need to stay small. It's going to mess up my numbers. I have to stay small with these guys, you know? And, you know, I remember being there saying like, no, I don't want to take more kids onto my team. Even that would have been what was best for the gym, but I'm looking at the score, you know, looking at things from the score sheet um, perspective. We need, like you said, the opportunity to allow more. We don't want to, we need to give opportunity. We can't let the score sheet dictate that we can't let a new kid into the gym. Like there's a kid who wants to cheer, you know, they're ready to sign up and they're so excited. You know, they went and saw, you know, a top gun routine. They walk into the gym and go, Oh, sorry, you're going to mess up. I got to add another stunt quantity stunt now, you know, or whatever. Um, so I know I, I didn't, um, I know I said only one more question. Well, after, you know, this is supposed to be the last question, but just well, score sheet. Talk to me about the score sheet. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's perfect. You're actually talking about the score sheet. Um, and you asked me earlier if I had any kind of plugs that I wanted to promote. So I've been part of developing a new score sheet. It's actually um, Ryan Mag and Amy Tyler, who have been, you know, everybody who's been in the industry knows them. Judging MCA, judging worlds. I've been around for 20 plus years, and this is what they do, and they do it well. They came up with a company called ProScore, and they took all the different divisions, watched, they had their team watch, you know, all the teams from all those divisions over the past few years, and actually have data to support the scoring system they've come up with called ProScore. Mm -hmm. um, it looks at every level, every age group what the tendencies have been as far as the routine. So level twos tend to do this many stunts and these are how many elites versus level appropriates. They tend to do the routine in this order. They tend to spend X amount of A counts on these sections. They've taken all that data and used it to come up with a scoring system that is fair across the board. So if you have more stunts up in the air, your deductions, let's say, are now a fraction of what they normally would be because yep. you're taking more risk, which I think is great because it would then promote teams to try to build bigger teams. If I put up, let's say I put up one stunt and by the varsity standard, it's a 0.75 if that stunt falls, but now I put up 12 stunts, it would be a 12th of that 0.75 yep. you know, if a stunt falls. So those are not the exact numbers, but that's kind of the the thought process behind it. And it's, it's very well done. I have, you know, the, the packet, we flew out to Dallas and they had EPs, coaches, gym owners, choreographers, everybody there sitting in the room presented, you know, the, the starting phases of how this was developing and mm -hmm. was able to take everyone's experience and go, you know what, this is great from a coaches and choreographers mindset, but being a judge at, all these events, judging different levels, having to sit there for 12 hours a day, only having X amount of time between teams to mm -hmm. get my scores out, that's not possible. And that, that's something that if, you're, if you haven't done that, you don't realize those things. It's very easy for us to say, do this. 
But if you've never actually had to do that, you don't know if it really works or not in yeah. real life. So having all those minds there to be able to go back and forth and say, that's a great idea, but that's not possible. You know what? If we tweak this, we can make that work. And then having all that data to pull from, they've created a, a, a phenomenal, I think it's going to be the system that our whole industry ends up adopting. I really hope it is. And of course, I'm sure along the way, they'll, there'll be things that need to be tweaked, just like with everything. You'll, you'll think you have everything figured out, then you'll be in a real life setting at a one day event and realize, oh, that didn't work, and we'll have to mm -hmm. tweak it. But I think it's more correct than any system we have out there. And I really, I really hope that the event producers who've been um, uh, privy to it, buy into it, and that it just continues to trickle to everybody is adopting this as the new scoring system. Yeah. And then, and then in a conjunction with that, having a third party judging association uh, to where our judges can actually make a career out of this. And mm -hmm. it's not just any Joe Schmo can go and judge a competition who may not be qualified to judge that level or that division or that age group, you know, and, and companies are just, think about it. It's a competitive sport. The judging and the scoring is basically at the top of what we should be worrying about because we're all trying to go to competitions to get scored mm -hmm. and get yep. ranked. Well, why would our system and our judging be subpar and that be okay? When mm -hmm. that really is what is driving us in how we're coaching and choreographing and running our gyms. Yep. We need to get that right so that it, it just makes sense that we're going there to get assessed on what we're doing and, and getting assessed correctly. So you really believe in this? Uh, it's ProScore? Is it ProScore? Yes, it's called ProScore. ProScore, Ryan Mag, Amy Tyler. All right, we need to get them on the podcast. I'm talking about the score sheet. Yeah. All right. Um, no, so what... And, and real quick, because I know I know coaches understood this, but it is just for the parents. And you you explained it again, but I want to make sure. So like with the numbers, right? If I put up one stunt and one of my stunts falls, or my only stunt falls, that's a hundred percent of my stunts, right? If I put up 12 stunts and one of my stunts fall, that's only one of 12, right? And so those two teams are being right now, currently, based on on everyone's system, doesn't matter if it's varsity or not those two teams get penalized the same, but one team took a lot more risk than the other team, right? If I do 25 standing tucks, another team does 12 standing tucks. When one of my 25 touchdown, I'm getting the same penalty as this team that only did, you know, did far less. Right. Um, so every time I, every time I put a kid in the air, every time I have a kid flip over, I'm taking a risk and those two teams shouldn't be penalized the same because they have different risk in their routine. Right. So it's like, the way the score sheet is designed right now, it's not beneficial to have all of your kids do everything. It's more beneficial to have less of your kids do, do the scale because you're not, you're not putting nearly as many kids up for risk. You don't have nearly as many kids judged on technique. Um, you know, all those things, this system seems like it's at least trying to figure that part, that failing part of the system out so that we can put up all the kids and have the same amount of risk as, you know, every other team that, you know, is tumbling and stunting in our divisions. Right. Um, and what, what else do we, anything else we need to talk about? Or I need to go to the last question. I was just going to add to the whole pro score system. The thing that I love about it oh, yeah. is, so we, we currently, I say cookie cutter. I know that there are teams out there that, do a great job of, of thinking outside the box. And our, our sport has just continues to evolve 
the difficulty level of what these kids are doing is unreal. Like, I, I could not imagine that now at my age, looking back, having to do what they do. Um, it's just incredible. Um, but for the, I think for the most part, a lot of our routines look very similar because we have these rubrics on different um, event producers' websites that say, you know, we're following this scoring system and these are the, the stunts you need to do or the tumbling skills you need to do in order to get in the high range. And let's face it, no one choreographs the routine to be in the lower medium range. We all mm-hmm. want to hit that high range. So you watch a routine and you can almost predict that eh, they're going to do a high to high TikTok. Yep. And then here comes their twisting skill. Here comes their inversion from the plank. Like you already know what's going to happen. I think that's very anticlimactic and it's, it doesn't promote thought. Um, and again, going back to my philosophy of it should be very entertainment based and very creative looking. Um, I love that the pro score system rewards for those things. So yes, you have your, your baseline skills that, you know, will, the way that they categorize them are bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. So, you know, there's kind of a hierarchy of skills, but mm-hmm. then there's also room for the judges to take skills that are not listed or not level appropriate and on the fly decide, you know what? That was really cool. I'd never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's worth as much as the platinum level skill. Mm-hmm. It may not be listed on the rubric or it may not be a level uh, six or level four transition, but because of how it's being performed, the what they call the hows, so how mm-hmm. it's being performed, um, which is the hierarchy of worth. Um, sorry, higher, higher of worth is the, the terminology they use for it. Taking all these little factors in consideration, you know, the combination of doing two elements back to back, you know, releasing then twisting or things like that, it can equal that one skill. So you yeah. might have a might have a full up to prep in level three, just do that one skill and you get this score. You're you're at this level. Mm-hmm. Or I do these this combination of these two level two skills with the level one and now I'm at the same as that team yeah. that that one skill. So now it, it, it opens up the door for, for coaches to not just think outside the box, but to strategize. What is my team good at? Well, they're not really good at twisting skills. So I'll do two of these and I'll equal that team that's doing that twisting skill. Yeah. Not like in gymnastics, you can have a Simone, Simone Biles that can go and triple double, you know, triple twisting double back yeah. and get a, and get a whatever score or someone comes out and does this front layout, front one and a half, back one and a half, you know, twisting combination that is worth almost the same, if not the same as that one big mm-hmm. skill. That one skill, yeah. Because there's there's intricacy and there's difficulty in having to get the timing down and the form mm-hmm. and the, 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 the connection between those skills. So I, I feel like it's, it's taking that idea from gymnastics and incorporating it into our sport without having to create a gymnastics code of points where you have this you know, binder this thick of mm-hmm. what every single skill is, is worth. And so I, I think that component of the scoring system is really, really cool. There we go. So we, we definitely have Ryan Mag, Amy Tyler, someone tag them in the video in this podcast. Cause we need him on the show to talk about the score sheet. Um, are you going to the event in Vegas? We are. Oh, you're going to be on the West and, Coast. And that's going to be the first time that that, that scoring system is, is used. Um, I know they've already had it shadowing mm-hmm. other events. They, you know, they're using it at other, at other events and seeing how the scores play out and how the mm-hmm. rankings play out. Um, and they've been doing that for the past couple of years. And I know that they've done it also virtually. You know, they've 
had their team watch tons of videos, all different levels and scored and see, and then compare mm-hmm. to what those teams really got at those same events, see how things play out and try to you know, tweak things where needed. But yes, with the biggest event in mid January next year is going to be the actual first time they're doing it live. Um, we're taking our, a bunch of our teams there just because the experience that they're creating is, is phenomenal. They have yeah. the backing from, they have the backing from the MGM um, brand. So it's not, what's cool about it is it's not an event producer coming into a city to rent space to put on an event. MGM Grand has the hotels, has the venue, has the mm-hmm. resources, has the money. They said, we need this. COVID, you know, was a big hit for us. We need to make Vegas more of a family-friendly place mm-hmm. and attract as many people as possible. What can yep. we do? Oh, look, you guys want to throw a cheer competition? Awesome. We're going to host that event for you. And they have mm-hmm. something for the moms, the dads, the little brothers and sisters, the athletes. I mean, they're doing so much. So yeah. if you're not going to be there, check it out virtually or do whatever. But I think that is going to be the highlight of the season. All right. I can't wait to go. TGLC going? Yes. I'm there. I'm going. <laughs> it's Vegas. It's, it's innovation. It's entertainment. That's what we're about. So, yeah, we're going to be there. There we go. Let's make it happen. All right, Victor. Um, where, where can people find you at online? How can people support you or how can people follow you? Stay updated. What's where are we at? Um, well, we have our main website, which has links to all of our locations. Um, Topgunjags.com. And then at the bottom of there, you can see all the different uh, social media links, but Facebook, and Twitter, Top Gun Jacks, Field 5. Um, same thing for Instagram. And then YouTube, we have our TGTV, where we put out original content. Um, it's video footage taken by one of our former athletes who's uh, in the videography industry. Mm-hmm. And he does a phenomenal job. His name is Lake Ridenauer. He has a company called Lake Front Productions. So he records you know, all the behind the scenes and the actual footage from our showcase. Puts a phenomenal video together from our our summer camp that we do called uh, Camp Geneva. It's actually mm-hmm. not in the summer anymore. It's mid-October. But what we take, it's a sleepaway camp that we do here in Central Florida. And it's all about um, just all of our locations coming together, you know, being able to, to share ideas, uh, help uh, put our routines together and do a lot of bonding. You know, we're really big on building the team camaraderie and the mm-hmm. chemistry. You know, if, if we learn anything over the years, it's the teams that are closer are the ones that end up performing better. You know, yeah. it's, a lot, it's so much easier to want to really push hard for your teammates that you really get along with and you've really bonded with when you're on the mat and when practices are, are grueling and when you're at a competition and things aren't going right. It's, it's much easier to, to pull together when you're bonded off the mat than when sure. you only see each other at the gym and it's just, you know, when you're there to go to work to do your cheer stuff. So we really, yeah. as a program, try to do a lot throughout the season to build up that team chemistry, that team camaraderie. Um, and that's one of the things we do. Um, yeah, but we have a bunch of other original projects and things like that on that TGTV. So check it out, y'all. There we go. Definitely. We'll all subscribe today. Victor, thank you so much for being on the show. We wish you the best of luck this season. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you, man. I'd love to be back.
Again, huge shout out to Victor. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I hope that you guys at home enjoyed this as much as I did. And I'm going to say this again. If you liked the video, then like the video. If you're listening to this, here we go. Start over. Again, huge shout out to Victor. Thank you so much for joining us today. I truly hope that you guys at home enjoyed this as much as I did. And I'm going to say this again. If you like the podcast, then like the podcast, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you're listening to this, watching this, definitely like it. Also, subscribe because next episode we have on another great guest for you guys. It's going to be another great episode. Be more. We miss you. We can't wait to have you back. Come on, come back to us soon, Be More. Um, and now I'm going to read another five-star review that we've gotten. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, leave a five-star rating, leave a review, and you might hear yours read on the show. Here we go. This one is from Davis Cheer. The best. As a coach, this podcast speaks to me. Jason comes from an amazing gym and getting an inside glimpse into it is awesome. I find myself talking back to him as I listen. When he said he can't give away all his coaching secrets, I thought, no, I need those secrets. I could probably listen to his insights into coaching and score sheets for hours and hours. So I love this. Highly recommended for any coaches, parents, or anyone that loves cheer. Thank you so much, Davis Cheer. Much love to you. Much love to all you guys listening out there. Five, six, seven, eight.